This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. Ah, g'day. Welcome to Literati Glitterati on Triple R. My name is Mel Fulton. Thank you so much for tuning in. It is a beautiful, bouncing autumn day out here in Melbourne. It's officially halfway through the week. It's a great time to take a long lunch break and talk about books and stories and storytelling. I'm broadcasting to you live from the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation and I pay my respects to elders past and present and of course to Bunjil, the great creation spirit. Coming up on the show today, um, it's a big one, we have a special treat, multi-award winning UK novelist and master of the tiny perfect book. Max Porter. Uh, He is the author of Grief is the Thing with Feathers, Lanny, and most recently Shy, which is a delightful little book, an outsider novel uh, told with heart, which is I think a good little companion novel maybe to The Catcher in the Rye. Um, A couple of weeks ago I had the great pleasure of sitting down with Max over Zoom and we talked writing, music, magic, mixtapes and today I'm going to share that conversation with you. Uh, Max is also going to share a short reading with us from his new work, Shy, which is out now through Faber and Faber. Triple R. I want you to kind of imagine uh, that, it's, that it's the middle of the night, that it's the middle of a cold night um, and and we're in the badlands of, of the UK, we're leaving and we're watching a troubled teenage boy. He kind of gets up in the middle of the night. This whole story takes place just over a few sort of short hours, less than 12 hours. Um, and this boy, Shy, he's sort of wandering in the night and he's carrying, he's carrying a really heavy bag. He's car- carrying a bag full of rocks. And as he's walking and sort of discreetly escaping this home, he's wandering down uh, towards a body of water and he's... He's imagining all of these voices sounding in his head. He's remembering things. He's replaying conversations. He's listening to the voices of, you know, the other kids at the last chance home. He's listening to the voice of his mother. Uh, He's listening to the voice of his teachers, of his therapist, of the people who love him and of the people who have hurt him. Um, and, And that's kind of, I guess that's the scope of a novel. It's a tiny novel. It takes a couple of hours to read. It's an extremely visceral one. Um, and our conversation with Max today begins by by just unpacking exactly what it is in a name, why he's landed on the name Shy for this character and, and what that name Shy really means in the context of this book. Let's get into it. I love it when things land in my head and over the last couple of years getting used to being a writer I've really started to embrace the fact that things just fly past you on the breeze and if you're paying attention you can grab them. And the word shy just was in my head when I woke up deciding I'd had this kind of strange dream about this boy and I knew I wanted to kind of unpack some of the thinking I've been doing about teenagers and and ghosts. Um, and then he was just called shy. And I thought, well, that's great because he's going to love drum and bass. And so he will love he will love the echo of shy effects, the legendary pioneer of UK drum and bass culture. Um, but also he'll like playing the game of being shy and then not being shy. And, you know, like any nickname or or pseudonym, it's something that your personality gets hanged upon and then it's used to punish you. Um, so there's bits in the book where people are, oh, you're not so shy after all. Um, and so I quite like the idea that that like 
any identity it's a performance that he has to navigate um so yeah and you know, the same with my first my second book lanny just don't know where the where the word lanny came from yeah, wow. But um, it sounds like it's almost when it does come to you, it's like the missing piece of the puzzle. Like you're already riffing on these kind of mm. ideas and concepts and then something clicks into place and you're like, oh, that's dynamic. I can play with that. Yeah. yeah. And I think people have always talked about this. Like some people call it the muse or, you know, some people call it like, you know, religious people would, would link it to a sort of spiritual thing or, 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 you know, a receptiveness to divine intervention or whatever. And I just think it's like an, an awakeness and paying paying attention to what happens in your mind and then knowing what to discard and what to embrace, you know. So, yeah, I was just listening and there it was. Yeah, wow. Um, I mean, I wanted to talk to you about listening because I think um, across all of your books, um, the sense of you as a writer and you as a listener is so very strong. The the voice in the novels and um, not just of the central character, although of the central character, but of all the characters around and the way that they play together and riff together is really strong. Um, how? How do you? How do you do it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm a very. I won't sound very musical, but I, I, I like music is my thing. You know, music is the thing I can't live without. Um, you could take away, you could take away everything, and I would still drum on the walls of my cell you know I, I i i i'm a very rhythmic person i think about music and i listen to music all day every day and therefore it's always been important to me to try and collapse some of the some of the art what, uh, what i perceive to be artificial silos between literature and art and literature and music i don't believe that they're there i think they're capitalism inserting these boundaries so i've always done events with musicians i've always wanted to try and have a musicality that's inherent in, in the language of the books, I want my I want my prose to have um, energies in it closer to music. You know, I don't know why we would rob ourselves, and that doesn't necessarily mean everything needs to be beautiful and flow along and have like popping off at onomatopoeia like this book does because it's writing about drum and bass. But just always being attuned to um to to, to lyricism and melody and wonder and, and when to deploy those things. And also, I believe that like music, like you know, when you when you someone you love when you're a teenager made you a mixtape. I want to put that kind of care and attention into my books and think very carefully about what follows something difficult. And like the juxtapositional energies in my books are really important to me. So if I deploy something quite sentimental, then I have to deploy something quite horrific and I have to think about the relationship between those things as if they're as if they're tunes on a mixtape for someone I really love because I love my readers and I want to collaborate with them in creating, you know, like when, when you listen to music and you get the tingles or you get like this whole kind of full body uplift i'm like why can't books do that so i'm i guess i'm trying to always achieve this in my work this some of the emotional like capacity that music has to move us as well as the different speed of you know we imbibe music like instantly whole body drenched like if i go and put you know source direct on now i'm just drenched in source direct here in my kitchen you know and i wonder about the tactics of sort of obfuscation in books whereby there's so much exposition and character build up and backstory and narrative arc and all this kind of like inherited bump basically of the social realist novel as it existed in the 19th or 20th centuries and I'm like let's just go straight to it why can't novels have drops and like jump offs where you just don't know what the hell's going on it's just all noise and all clatter and then a little bit later on you land on something a bit firmer and you start to pick out a melody or you start to recognize various motifs that are being deployed like I, I want that yeah. <laughs> but also, sorry, sorry to carry on about this, but you've asked me a good question. Someone's going to chat at you for ages. Please do. Um, 
<laughs> I was listening to an interview recently on the radio about a Colombian player. I don't know. I don't know whether I think they were a guitarist. And the interviewer described the fact that people had said this. You know, this dude was in their eighties or whatever. And the interviewer had said that every single time they'd seen them play over the course of a long lifetime, they'd remembered that they would laugh and smile at their instrument while they played. And I was like, I want that for writing. I want to look down at my work and 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 smile at this tool that is available to me, like the 26 letters of the alphabet. I want to treat that like it's the 26 keys of a keyboard. And I want to I want to absolutely revel in that. I want to be joyful about it, you know, um, rather than this kind of small, paranoid, very heavily policed bickering culture that literature often affords itself yeah. I want to be more joyful this image of the tortured writer versus someone who plays and someone who delights and somebody who is offering um offering to to figure something out with the reader to collaborate with, with the them reader. I think that 100%. that's a really a really lovely distinction to make and a really lovely thing to reach for also just trying to build up a good a good thing between me and the audience yeah like not a thing where I'm on a pedestal not a thing where I know something they don't or that I'm even trying to flog them something do you know what I mean like you're all here to buy my new book absolutely that that's dead in the water um I'd, I'd rather get everyone in the room feeling um worried or excited or fragile together you know that that's that's where I want to take it yeah I mean I want to ask you about how you do that like how you have a sense of play in your writing practice you know you have um moments in in all of your books but I'm, I'm going to talk about shy because that's the one that's out at the moment but um you know where where shy is drunk and so the text is drunk and you and you read it you read it drunk. Um, he's imagining the different voices and the different conversations that he's had that have frustrated him or hurt him or humiliated him or uplifted him and they come to you in different fonts and texts and land you in these different perspectives and these different ways of being. Um, you have, you know, this sort of collage-like effect that lands you in the immediacy of how he's feeling and I think because um, the... The very special horror and humiliation of being a young person is so raw. <laughs> I think for so many mm. people, we're mm. so ready to go there. But how how do you land on these kind of how do you land on these modes? How do you get us there, and how do you get to them yourself? Well, it's maybe what you're saying about it being raw and there being an immediacy is that when there isn't, I just discard it. I'm just like that is that is an existing way of writing that feels very much like me as a 40 year old <laughs> dad <laughs> like essaying around the question of teenage pain there's nothing there that's just that like it feels inherited and lazy and cliched and it also feels like um very much puts up a kind of barrier between literature and recipient that I that I I'm uneasy about whereas when I when I when I as you say like he's taking a load of ketamine he's having the best time of his life he's really wasted um necessarily the language has to scramble I have to try and evoke a, in a very bodily way like I want my books to be quite bodily it has to be felt and therefore the the line itself has to wobble there's no way that I can write well about a 15 year old boy who's 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 uh, like as you say um inebriated to that extent and write like beautifully polished 21st century literary prose it's just it's, it's just be, be fraudulent so I guess I'm always trying to discard anything that seems fraudulent and get at something that seems truer and uh, very often that involves removing myself um removing my perception of of what a style should be or or even my politics do you know what I mean like just so I'm taking out all judgment at a time like that and just trying to create 
the sensory evocation of what it's like for him and often that repulses me or worries me or as, as a writer or sometimes I would might try and deploy some kind of formal thing and I'd be like nah that's a gimmick and I hate gimmickry or you know like I hate experimentation for experimentation's sake you know when a writer's just trying to be clever or be tricksy so I'd cut all that out and then sometimes I'd be left with nothing and it's a dead end I have to start again um, you know this book was very very long at one point and got much 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 shorter because I wanted to just cut out everything that was yeah everything that was me really um yeah, wow. and I guess I'm I'm, I'm, a, I'm a profound editor like I edit as I write sorry there's a siren around past that's okay it's thrilling um you edit as you well, it's write. exciting for us because I live in Bath so there's just you know a little bit of crime is really exciting here I hope that's someone that's like sprayed a huge dick on the wall somewhere. I hope someone's like, done a- something full, absolutely full, naughty. Yeah, something naughty. <laughs> and the full powers of Bath City Council will come down upon them, I can assure you. Totally. I hope um, that kid's running away. Get out yeah. of here. Well, there was, a, like, we joke, right? But there was some graffiti on the wall recently, just a slogan. Like, it was like some emo thing, maybe it was the name of their band. Um, and someone had taped up a little sign next to it saying, you're obviously having difficulties and we want you to know that the whole community is behind you, but please don't spoil this beautiful area with your anger. Oh, so it just made me, honestly, it made me want to burn the whole city down. Anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a slap. Yeah, so offense, the, edi- the editorial culture. I, I, I edit as I write and, I, and I'm and i really suspicious all the time. Do you know what I mean? I have to, I have to regard the work with like great deal of of suspicion and think like how in a minute is that are you just are you just trying to get a to b like a novelist would try and get a character a to b or are you just trying to you just trying to put your thoughts about mental health now or tory corruption and the total dismantling of the welfare state in this country now on this character to like please read us with your politics and if i am then got to get rid of that got to work it back better in got to got to think again about shy so much of the writing and the editing of this book was just really 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 like being the weather around Shy, really thinking about what it would be like to be his mum, really thinking about his teachers and the vocabulary they use and where they are in the space and things like touch and patience and absence. So as you say, lots of that in the book is this kind of blank space for you to do your thinking. Yeah. Because um, I took because I took myself out so often. Yeah, wow. Um, I think that that really does there's a lot that you nudge at, um, you know, because when mm. you do write small books that don't overstay their welcome, what you leave out is really important to the reader as well. Mm. And there's, you know, there's this kind of this gentle nudging at what is happening to the last chance home, the home where Shy lives, and this idea that gentrification has kind of taken taken over in that area and it might be turned into some apartments or it might be developed in some kind of way. But nothing much is really said. It's just nudged mm. at and we can jump in and impose upon that what we will. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. We're going to get into part two of our interview with Max, uh, which opens with a bit of a discussion about Max's editing processes and if he has trusted readers, because he writes these tiny, tiny little books that you can read in a couple of hours. And um, when you take a look at them, you'll see uh, they are so crisply realised with, you know, a sort of experimental and playful use of typography, um, of page design. um, And as I said before, they're really very brief. So we have a little bit of a chat about that process and how they get to be that way. Let's tune in. I I try to trust people, but they're always wrong. Uh, (laughs) Everyone's always like, no, this is too weird, this is rubbish. And then it's not, it's not. 
Uh, but no, I, I I have really good editor. And I've, I've had different editors every time. The only consistent editor I've had is my American editor at Grey Wolf Press in the US, and he's been really good. He has a totally different brain to me and a totally different editorial sensibility. So he says things, and I'm like, what are you reading? I can't believe we're talking about the same book here, but that's very useful. And as an editor in my old job, I did a bit of that, like a deliberately stupid edit, where you're literally like, sorry if I'm being stupid, but I thought this character had died. And then that's the point the writer's like, oh, thank you. Yes, I hadn't realised I killed them off. You know, you've got to ask the, the basic questions. Um, so I'm really grateful. I love the conversation around the work. Um, I love being asked questions. I love to see the books as kind of question machines. And therefore, those early conversations where the questions that the book is asking are very ripe and very unformulated and perhaps even accidental, to have that thrown back at me is is brilliant. I absolutely love it. And to me, like, the book isn't finished. The book is the, the kind of publishing business of the whole thing makes me a bit uneasy. And, and so I want people to do this work when they finish the book and go off and think about it. So for me, the kind of editorial process never ends because like I stood, you know, a woman stood up last week who was a foster carer, gave me an astonishing response to this book. Um, like the the friend of us, like one of my kids' school friend dads who just I, has never shown any interest in my work, like said some extraordinary things about the way we, the way we perceive of those we lost along the way not only to mental health, but illness, like the way we, the way particularly men uh, cling to sort of preformed narratives of, of failure of, of the, of the dead having failed us, particularly people that have taken their own lives, like this kind of watered down Christian idea of it being a crime still and, and being a, a rejection of life's beautiful gift and stuff. And he's like, and I just hadn't formulated any of that for myself. I was, it was just a kind of area I didn't visit. And he just went right into it was shy and so that is an editorial response and, and makes me think about where I've left gaps for him to do that and where I haven't. And like and so it keeps on going um, as long as I keep on listening to what people are saying and be interested in it. You know, horrible reviews, good reviews. I want it all. I'm interested. This book should be like a mirror. Um, and it fascinates me. You know, some people's response just says so much about them. <laughs> do you know like yeah things that would notionally from the from the conventional point of view of a writer getting a bad review and it hurting them. It's amazing how it doesn't really with this book. So I'm like, all oh, right, you think, you know, it's like Lan you think Lanny's pretentious, but interesting. That's very interesting, middle-aged man. You know, like you think Shy is too sentimental and that they shouldn't have given him a hug at that point. Oh, that's interesting. What you want to, you want tough love to you, big guy? You know, like it's so fascinating. Yeah. Um, and other people, you know, like who who found the language in my first book, the, the, the Crow's language, just too disturbing and too dark and they didn't recognise it. I'm like, well, that might, that's really interesting because... I do recognise it, like on quite a primal level. So, the, the, like the conversation only begins when I finish the book, and I really am grateful for that. Like, and humbled every time. It just amazes me how incredible it is to have other people insert themselves, open-hearted and open-minded, into this work yeah. and start to change it. I'm so pleased that you went there. I had a question about about the brutality of the end of books because the story ends mm. there and then we're, we're stuck. We're stuck with ourselves and with our imaginations and, and what happens to these characters that we care so much about. And I, you know, like, is, is shy. Okay. Like what, it, what is <laughs> happening? And, and I was going to ask you that. And then I was going to ask, well, more philosophically, like, is that even, any of your business <laughs> do you know what mm -hmm. I mean like the way people yeah. respond to the story because now the book is out in the world what is that um 
this is a very garbled question sorry but yeah no that's good I love it no because it is none of my business you're right but also the fundamental like an ending of a book is a, is a like weirdly artificial thing anyway it, 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 it's part of its artifice right but, but books don't tend to acknowledge it and I think they often do they often do endings in a way that they feel they have to it's a bit like books about the climate crisis that feel they ought to put a hopeful chapter in chapter eight like because their editor doesn't want to depress people it's like you've got to depress people when you're talking about the climate crisis it's the most depressing thing to happen to the human life on this planet <laughs> it's like writing a book about the nuclear bomb but not wanting to scare anyone um so i think that we have to accept that but like that's why i think i go for these 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 major chords at the end of my book because if it, like, if i'm leaving you with that kind of existential barren landscape i at least want it to contain within it some springboards for for positive feeling like some springboards for gratitude or or onward onward movement you know, rather than just this like, sorry, show's over. I'm the writer. I called time on this project. I hope you enjoyed your $12.99 worth of literature. Um, back to the real world. I don't want that. I want it to sort of seep and like ooze over the ending. Um, and in fact, a question like, oh, is this too sentimental or um, or is this too abrupt? Like, those are good questions. And they're the kind of questions we ask at the end of life. And they're the kind of questions we should be arming ourselves with perhaps a bit better through life rather than this kind of, haze of denial that makes us all think you know if we do enough ginger shots and wear enough apple products we'll probably make it to the end like no one makes it yeah no <laughs> the survival one rate up. is zero right yeah yeah and we <laughs> i mean if i had my way right the books would be sort of I, I i wouldn't even publish them i'd just leave them lying around um and they would never end and they'd sort of merge into one another and people would be like what is this music ah oh, is this a, you know something i've just found pinned is it just buried in the forest for no one to read you know, I'm trying to get closer to that. I try because it's healthier for me and it's healthier for everybody. You know, um, I think somehow that there is no ending. Um, yeah, on I it goes on it goes with a positive with a positive echo in the world. You know. Yeah, I I love that. It's um, it's lawless and kind of fruitful and also totally. Um, Everybody jump in and and have a crack. Yeah. What, whatever it well, is. Well, the Times, is what it means. the Times newspaper would say it's uh, Mad Max and the hippie returns and it's a load of sentimental trash. But you know that's their um, that's their, their modus operandi, isn't it? And and I suppose that it, it, in I suppose in turn that validates my quest. Um, but yeah, everybody jump in. That that's it. I really feel like that, especially a book about nineties um, drum and bass. <laughs> you know? yeah. no one can't dance. No yeah. one needs to worry about how they look on the dance floor. Everyone is welcome here. You know, put your hood up and sit at the back if you need to. You know, everyone's jumping. Um, I want to ask you about magic. I think it's magic. Um, or magic is a stand-in for, for something else. Um, you've got this young kid. He's a troubled young kid. The book is set over maybe less than 12 hours. He's putting on this heavy, heavy backpack full of flints and he's trudging off out of the house, sneaking down to this, to this pond. Um, and there's something, I mean, it's very, very real and it's very, very heavy and he's listening to this music and he's making this kind of solitary, uh, solitary journey to a, to a heavy possible future and we don't know what that might be. And then, you know, I don't want to give anything away but something happens and there's a vision and we don't know how real that is. We don't know if it's not. And I, I want to ask you about, I, I feel like there are these sort of quite magical motifs in your, in your books mm. and they're not, I, it's not fantasy but they're fantastical and, and where they come from and, and why, 
why they can tell us something that's maybe more true than than the truth. Mm. Well, uh, that's a really beautiful way of describing it. With no spoilers, you've you've smashed that job. Well, um, thank you. I think that I that this book is less magical than the last two, but is the one is 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 the most mystical, I suppose, in as much as it is the one where a mystical encounter isn't there isn't me doing an investigation of myth or isn't me doing like myth brought to bear on humans lives it's actually something that just happens and and I don't as you say I don't include any judgment on whether it's real or not I just do it and it only takes a few pages like I wanted it to be the most ordinary miracle that that at points in human life be it a hallucination or a dream or just a like wobbling in the thickness of the air around us when we're walking from one place to another or or being startled or whatever that the fundamental course of your life shifts on its axis and that might happen 10 15 20 times in a lifetime that might just happen to you right now you know it's a bit like you break your little toe every now and then every now and then also because i don't think we're fully awake and i don't think you know a neuroscientist would confirm this that we're not really our senses aren't dialed up and our brains are only using a fraction of what they're capable of so who knows what we might hear if we could hear better? You know, my my I'm an animist, so my 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 um, conviction would be that we would hear plants screaming, we would hear weather systems moving towards us across the land, we would hear tectonic plates creaking, you know, we would hear the ghosts in the rooms, whatever, we would hear buildings weeping. Um, and same with our sight, like you know, there's this beautiful thing by Catherine Rundell about the golden mole that these incandescent animals we don't see them glow, but other animals do, and in fact humans glow. And we can't see it because our, our sight isn't dialed up well enough. But if we had retinas that could, whatever, I don't know the science, but if we had better eyesight, we would see that humans glow. We are incandescent creatures. And even more than that, we're actually striped. Human beings are striped at a UV level, but we just can't see it. So I just want these things that are happening outside of our our sensory capabilities, just in the periphery of the species, between the human and the non-human to occasionally enact upon us as i believe they do like like scientists have now proved that when you go to the woods the i can't remember the name of the chemical but the chemical that trees are giving off is is flooding us it's going inside us it's affecting our brains it's affecting our well-being it's making us high like <laughs> there's a reason people go forest babe there's a reason why our indigenous culture has built their whole societies around the, around the forest it's because it's life and so I just think like this life thing happens to Shy. Might be just that he's super stoned, but it doesn't matter because the, the the effect on him is the same. It just, and I don't think there's a right or a wrong. I don't judge him for what he was about to do. I don't celebrate the fact he didn't do it. He's just swerved, you know. He's just floated in a different direction because of God knows what breeze. Um, and I think I maybe have done with that for now in my books. Um but I haven't done with it in my life. And I suppose I'm always just interested in that not being, yeah, I don't think you need, it's again comes back to a market thing, right? Why as an industry do we need to label things science fiction or romance or crime or literary fiction? Even worse, like literary fiction is if it's some kind of separate space. It's like this weird thing that not many people read, but we take it most seriously and give it prizes. It's just bonkers. So I want that. I want I want my books to be kids' books, really, full of world building and, and magic and... um yeah, and if that's called literary fiction or it's called the novel, then great. But to me, it's just it's just shy. It's just what happens in Shy's mind, you know. As yeah. you say, in this short this short nocturne of this one night of his life. Yeah. And I would do that for anyone. I'd do it for like 
I started this book doing it for a medieval manuscript illuminator. And I then tried to do it for a Victorian person working in like a penny dreadful theatre show. And I've tried to do it for a saint. I'll do it for anyone. It's just a question of paying a person an enormous amount of attention um, and being willing to spill over our existing descriptive strategies for how a person is in this world. And if I need dead animals or I need ghosts or I need mythic crows, then I'll use them. <laughs> yeah, you've got to draw on all your tools, whatever you got, whatever's there. Yeah. If, I need, uh, if I need Doc Scott and Groove Rider, then I will, then I will use them. In just a moment, uh, we are going to have a reading from Max Porter from the book, but right now we're going to hear from him, uh, we're going to hear from him about the role that music has played in the writing of this novel and uh, the pace and the cadence and the rhythm of it. Yeah, I mean, if it were me, like I've got more eclectic taste than shy. Mm. Um, like if I was going to write a book about the music I love, that would be. Um, it would, it would have a lot more in it. Like Shy is very tribal, but I'm really interested in people that did that, that died, particularly pre-digital. You know, the book is set in 1995. So, you know, I don't know if it was the same over there, but like here you would spot a junglist coming down the street, you know, record bag, the trainers, the bomber jacket, you know, and then there's a goth and then there's a grunge kid and then there's a silver chair fan. You know, there they are in, mm-hmm. in, in, the, in the costume of their tribe. Um and his obsession with it is, is a yearning, you know, because he's just outside the scene. So I wanted him to be not an expert. I didn't want him to be cool like an actual DJ. I wanted him to just be sitting on the periphery yearning to be part of the thing. Um, and then and then like a kind of gazetteer, like all real true fans are at that time, you know, like listing his favourite tunes um, and like having a sense of what his funeral tune would be and like what his best party tune would be. And then once I decided it was drum and bass, it was super fun because I love that music. And that music still sounds like the future to me. You know, I did an event the other night in Galway and I'd sent them a playlist. Actually, I'd sent them some some sort of steers and then, a, and then a jungle DJ in Galway had done a mix. And he opened it with this incredible tune by Source Direct called A Made Up Sound that uh, speaks to me of, of still that sound being everything. It being house and it being jazz and it being techno and it being like the diaspora really like just this incredible melting pot but a sound that sounded to me and sounds to shy like suburban england you know our sound homegrown sound um and i was really moved when the record came in big sound in like a in a galway theater i was like oh this is this is still like this is a way forward for shy this is a place he can this is a sound he can be in um and then when i edited the book i edited it listening to that music so that the whole sort of the spirit both in, explicitly and like some of the bpm of the music is in it um but also just like humming along in the baseline of the book is that sound yeah it's got that propulsiveness um and you know rap, uh, shy it's absolutely speaks in that kind of cadence you feel that as yeah. you read it, it drives you through Triple. Ah. We're about to be delighted by a reading from him. Uh, this is a short and perfect book, I would say. It is, um, it is poetic. It is 
hopeful. It is everything that you want an outsider novel to be. Uh, it follows the it follows about twelve hours, or maybe a little bit less than that, in the life of in the life of our character Shy, who wakes up at the last chance home, uh, packs his bag full of rocks, and makes his way out into the wilderness. And as he's sort of walking along towards this body of water, he's listening to music and he's thinking about uh, all the conversations that he's had and how he wishes they could perhaps go differently. And this is a section of the book that Max is reading from today. The field is staying dead still, but it's tight and close around him like he's wrapped up in it. A block of night that moves with him, breathes as he breathes. Everything is pressing edge, encroaching dense. He doesn't want to think about what might be out here. Posh Cow comes from this countryside and tells stories about the woods, these old hunty blokes who live in the forest and cut people up and burn them on big bonfires of all the brambles and bracken and smoky shit so nobody knows, grind the bones into pig lunch. Shiny leather high heels and kids' toys in the wood like props from ITV murder dramas. Scared people running through bracken and brambles trying to get to the safety of the big house, but the big house isn't safe. It's fully stocked with violent, frustrated young male offenders all lying awake. Night sweats in the dark last chance, marinating their desire to hurt people night after night in their soupy rural overlapping dreams. Bad young men blast past borstal bastards, lab rats lying there while crusty ghosts from the old house crouch over them, dribbling fear and violent fantasy into their ears. Drip, spittle, trickle in the middle of the mean old witchy littered English woods a long way from home, a long way from any lights or cab ranks or trust mums. That was Max Porter there reading from his latest his latest novel Shy. Um, that's about all, t- all the time we've got for today on Literati Glitterati. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's been an absolute delight. Thank you so much to Max Porter for taking some time out to have a chat with us on the show today. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform.